Without further ado, I'm going to introduce Shahar. She is a serial tech CMO um, and she's got an amazing sort of software engineering experience and combines that with actually how you scale B2B marketing operations globally. Um, she's most recently been working at Hubble, one of our portfolio companies, and has a whole wealth of experience to share with you. So Shahar, I'm going to hand over to you. Thank you, Natasha. So I would like to cover today uh, B2B demand generation machines under the hood. Um, uh, Natasha has already uh, um, introduced me. I've done some stuff. I'd like to define myself as a serial tech CMO. And the too long didn't read part of this is that my background is in software engineering, but at some point I did some kind of a shift uh, into advertising and I've spent a few years in an ad agency. And then I, I added some, some MBA studies and I believe this diverse background of tech, advertising, marketing, and, and business helped me when I built some numerous demand generation machines uh, uh, for tech companies over the years. Um, now, a few uh, disclaimers. Um, there is no one-size-fits-all recipes for building a machine, I'm sorry, uh, but there is a mindset and a framework that I wanted to share as part of this uh, session. So what will be covered in this session? I, I wanted to share what is a demand generation machine, how to build one, and then how to optimize it once you've built it. So HubSpot defines demand generation machine as the umbrella of marketing programs that get customers excited about your company's product and services. Um, but as a marketeer, it could be your, uh, that you are the founder, the, the head of marketing, the CMO, whatever, you are tasked with the demand generation problem. How should you allocate your marketing resources across all these marketing programs and activities in order to maximize uh, that customer excitement that HubSpot was speaking about and ultimately maximize your revenues? Now, Having come from the ad agency space, um, uh, I was thinking about, uh, I'm taking here Don Draper's the embodiment of the traditional marketeer uh, and the way that he or the, the traditional marketeer would approach uh, the demand generation problem. What would a Don Draper do? And um, uh, uh, essentially, uh, such a traditional marketeer would craft a business strategy that would fit uh, the ideal customer profile, and then, then they would craft a brand story and it would be based on market research, experience, and their gut instincts. And that's um, an important part of how you would approach that demand generation problem, but it's not the full picture. Uh, and I felt like I was missing. So this, the tool set that I, I received during my uh, ad agency and, and marketing business years um, did not uh, essentially, um, were not enough uh, to support my needs when optimizing a demand generation machine. I realized that over time that I was uh, managing quite a complex operation that actually resembled much more uh, a complex engineering uh, engine. Uh, a complex engine or an engineering project. So I was thinking that um, I might uh, um, use a new role model. Uh, for example, Nikola Tesla. Uh, I'm referring here to the man and not the car. Uh, I could have chosen Edison, but I believe that Tesla is way cooler. So uh, Tesla was a brilliant engineer and, and more importantly, a creative problem solver. He was also a heavy gambler with weird obsession for pigeons, but let's put that aside. Now, when thinking about what would Tesla do, how would a Tesla, or in, in this case, an engineer would approach the demand generation problem? 
uh, Tesla was a weird person, so I don't really know what he would do, but I'd like to think that what he would do is that he would A, formalize the problem, he would define it in a more formal way, and then he would systematically apply resources and creativity in order to solve that problem. And then he would measure result, optimize, and iterate. So with this sort of engineering uh, mindset, um, we, we, I, I kind of re-examined the demand generation problem that I uh, described earlier. So as a marketeer or someone leading the marketing of a, uh, a tech company, essentially you get as inputs the targets, the budgets, and the constraints. So in some cases you can impact those targets and budgets, but for the sake of simplicity, let's assume that this is the inputs that you receive. So you have the targets and the budgets, and you have uh, constraints such as, example, for example, if you're a SaaS company, then you have to make sure that the ratio of the lifetime value to cost, for, cost of acquisition is uh, higher than three. And you need to make sure that the cost of acquisition payback time is lower than, uh, uh, shorter than 12 months. So you have all these inputs, you put them into the machine that you're building and you need to uh, deliver a set of outputs that can be uh, a specific uh, number, quantity or value of qualified leads, transactions, revenue or certain North Star metric. It depends on, on the specific company. But as a marketeer, uh, your um, core task is to design, build and constantly optimize that machine that given those inputs and under these constraints will deliver the expected output. And, and for me, that is an important realization and, 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 most, uh, um, and one of the most important uh, takeaway from, from this session is this formal uh, uh, definition of the demand generation pro uh, uh, problem and I would claim a marketing problem more broadly. And what is a demand generation machine? A demand generation machine is therefore the system that you set up in order to solve this formal demand generation problem. Now, if you're anything like me as a marketeer, uh, a part of you will die inside when you hear that because it sounds so soulless and very kind of cold. It's almost an equation. But I would like to remind everyone that one of the definitions of engineering is the action of working artfully to bring something about. And indeed, we still, as part of this machine, and even though you are uh, designing a, a quite a complex operation, the Don Draper-ness uh, is still there. You're still need to bring a lot of creativity and a lot of, uh, of um, uh, this fluffier branding in order to make this machine truly deliver. So the second part is how to build the machine. Um, and in, in short, I would say that this is um, actually something that you've already done, even if you've just launched your business today. Um, as an example, I just wanted to take a random uh, company I found on the, the internet. It's a micro SaaS, uh, I think HR tech company. I have absolutely zero connection to them. And if there is anyone from that company on the call, I apologize, I've made some assumptions for the sake of this session. So uh, the reason I've selected them is that they seem to have a very, very simplistic acquisition process. They have one landing page in which there is a simple email lead capture and an order subscription page. It's almost as simple as it gets, okay? So, and even this very simplistic acquisition process actually represents behind the scene what I assume to be quite a complex machine. Again, I reverse engineered this. Uh, I, I, I made up the numbers. So if you are from that company, I apologize. But what this uh, shows is essentially a set of acquisition channels 
bringing traffic into the, their landing page, then being split across those that provided uh, their lead, uh, their contact details, and are being nurtured, and others that will convert directly. This represents, and I'm not here to scare you with this, uh, with this uh, uh, diagram, what I'm trying to show here is that this is a single acquisition process. But this is not the entirety of the demand generation machine that they have built. I would claim that in order to support this process, they must have some kind of MarTech, marketing technology to support this. It could be as simple as a Google sheet, an Excel sheet, and someone manually then sending emails. And it could be as complex as a Salesforce connected to a marketer with very complex inbound marketing automation processes. Then behind the scenes, there must be some kind of a team supporting these processes. It can be just the founder, or it could be a very wide uh, marketing team with performance, brand, content, etc. Then uh, there is the proposition. So we've seen on the website there are, their ideal customer profile seems to be something along the lines of either a founder or head of HR, and they're trying to position themselves as an enjoyable online training system. And then I'll leave here two more cryptic symbols, but I would claim that as a performance multiplier, they have uh, organic traffic. I did see some organic uh, footprint and they probably have some uh, fuel to the machine in the form of content. So what I've essentially described are six components. And I would claim that even if you've just set up your business today, if you have even a single simple pr uh, acquisition process, you already set up uh, at some minimalistic, minimalistic form your machine. So these are the, the six components of the demand generation machine. The first one is proposition. It's uh, the ideal customer profile, the positioning, the kind of place you want to own in the mind of your clients. Both the ICP and the positioning are quite fixed uh, for uh, fairly long periods of time, but the messaging keeps changing and it changes across segments and based on different stages in the funnel. Um, and so the, the first parts are quite fixed, but you will be testing quite a lot the messaging. The second component of your machine are the processes. These are the, the, all the acquisition and retention sequences, both the campaigns and the uh, marketing automation programs that you're running. When people are thinking about the demand generation machine, they usually refer to these processes. But actually, the, the picture is much broader because in order to deliver these processes efficiently, you actually need all of these components. The next uh, um, component is the proficiencies, the team, the skill set, and the decision which uh, proficiencies, skill sets you need to have in-house and which one to um, outsource. Then you have the platforms. You power all of these processes um, using a marketing and sales tech stack and, by, um, and you optimize it by tracking it end-to-end. -end. The performance multipliers is an important uh, component. Um, most people think of branding and demand gen and performance separately. I believe that branding is uh, branding activities, building a community and organic SEO are all important performance multipliers because by doing them uh, um, correctly, you can increase either the conversion rates of your funnel or you lower the cost of acquisition uh, for your traffic. So a strong brand will attract 
more attract more uh, uh, traffic or um, organically without uh, uh, much acquisition cost and it will also convert uh, better think of yourself uh, as a business decision owner if you you've heard so much about slack most likely if you thinking of some kind of communication or collaboration tool for your company you'll go to their site and you will convert fairly quickly this is the power of the branding and it's not separate from from your demand generation machine and then there is the petrol, the, the fuel to this machine, because all of these processes, um, all the branding activities, community, it's all powered by content and creativity uh, to test new ideas. So content and creativity is constantly uh, uh, fuel this machine. So the full picture and the, the way I visualize in my mind the demand generation machine is as following. You have the infrastructure of your team and their skill sets. You have the tech platforms and being able to track what you're doing end to end. This uh, infrastructures allows you uh, to then run inbound processes across all the channels that you are uh, that you are uh, executing on, delivering the messaging to the specific uh, targets that uh, the, the specific segments and uh, target audience that you are delivering to, and then also to run the outbound processes and delivering the specific messaging for their stage in the funnel. And then you have the performance multipliers that, as I mentioned uh, before, are increasing the conversion rates from prospects to MQLs, from MQLs to SQLs, from lead, qualified leads to clients. And then you have the petrol, the fuel that, that feeds this entire process with, with great quality content. I would like to give you a growth stage machine example. Um, this machine is a mashup of various demand generation machines that I've helped build throughout the years, but a lot of the examples and definitely the images will refer to Hubble HQ. I'm now phasing out of my role as the CMO of Hubble HQ. Um, and for the uninitiated, Hubble HQ is the largest, uh, um, London's largest online marketplace for renting office spaces. Um, when I joined, one of the first projects that I had there uh, is to work with the team. Uh, they already had a very uh, well-defined ideal customer profile and, and personas, but we were working on positioning the company and uh, through a collaborative process uh, alongside a, a branding agency as well, uh, we have defined positioning of Hubble as around the theme of the science of office, uh, office space. Uh, and more particularly, we use the tagline Office Surge uh, Alchemy. This, um, as I mentioned before, ISP and positioning is something very stable that will, uh, um, that Hubble HQ will uh, continue to use over time. But over the, the months, we uh, constantly messages, uh, tested messaging for specific personas, for specific segments, and for specific stages in the funnel. The next uh, part, and I'm uh, sorry about the, the, the numbering issue, is the proficiencies or building the team. Uh, I was extremely lucky to have a super talented team uh, in Hubble HQ across uh, performance with Adi, uh, Brandon Content, uh, uh, with Hannah and the rest of the team, and Alban led by Joe. Amazing team there. But I think what I'd like to highlight here is um, what is critical to keep in-house and what you can outsource. And I would say that it's the critical path uh, for your processes should be kept in-house. Uh, whereas only once you have a well-proven playbook, that's a stage where you can start outsourcing or, or um, um, employ free, freelancers. So once you have all uh, your positioning, um, 
well uh, defined you when you have an uh, for example on the content side editorial calendar and you have a very clear setup and processes you can then outsource some some uh, some of the activities externally i would also like to highlight um that uh, the more tax savvy performance minded and hands-on you have uh, the team that you have the better because this is becoming much more tech-driven, data-driven operation. And the more the marketing team can do independently, the more they can uh, essentially coordinate uh, uh, without uh, resorting to uh, wait for other development team, they can run tests more efficiently and more effectively. Um, one more point I wanted to make here is that Early on, you may have a generalist uh, taking care of quite a few of these functions, but uh, once you have a product market fit, I would uh, uh, strongly consider uh, hiring in-house um, specialists, at least one for performance and one for brand and content later on as you grow, also develop your outbound uh, function as well. Um, yes. Now, the next stage, as I mentioned before, is the inbound processes, the acquisition, retention uh, sequences. This is what you most likely think about when you think about the demand generation machine. It's all the, 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 the campaigns and sequences that you run across paid search and paid social and CRM marketing webinars, referral programs and newsletters. They have a sort of a cycle in which you, you run them, you, you get, uh, you um, attract traffic, you nurture them through marketing automation, retargeting and sales pipeline, and you measure the, the key metrics and optimize. Now you do this on a quite high frequency cadence and the messaging and content in the process may vary by segment. And obviously, this is where once you set up your machine, a lot of your work will be focused on. But at, at the beginning, it's important to set up all the, the parts, all the components properly to support this process so that you'll even have the beginning of this uh, very detailed setup. Additionally, at some point in, in the life uh, cycle of the company, you'll have outbound processes. So you may select uh, to target uh, between 100 and 200 key accounts. You prioritize them based on their uh, fit to their ideal customer profile and their propensity to convert. And then you nurture them through outbound sales sequences on LinkedIn, email, polls, events, partnerships, etc. And again, the messaging, the content and process may vary across uh, segments and uh, if you find a strong very performance different uh, driven person to uh, lead this activity then you'll end up constantly optimizing those messages and your uh, your outbound processes will be much more efficient uh, another point, uh, component is the platforms, the MarTech stack and end-to-end -end tracking. I'm not going to go into specific vendors, but the, the main building blocks most likely are going to be the CRM. On top of that, the marketing, the inbound marketing automation. Then I would highly recommend developing some kind of BI or analytics uh, layer, even if it requires some specialist knowledge in-house. Because this is such a complex operation, that you would need some kind of a collaboration platform. I'm a fan of Monday, but there are others, Asana, Reich, and others. Um, in order to measure the, the performance of your um, uh, content uh, in terms of SEO, you would need some kind of SEO tech. And at some stage, you would um, add uh, outbound sales automation. These are the key parts. 
but more importantly is the end-to-end -end tracking. So before running uh, any campaign or test, I would definitely highlight the importance of making sure you have some kind of way to measure the impact of, the, of what you're testing. Uh, initially, it could be as, as simple as uh, setting goals in Google Analytics, but later you need to make sure that all the UTM params are filled in correctly in your CRM and you'll be able to query them and track the impact of your campaigns. Then we have the fuel um, to the machine. I mentioned this before, and this is some example of the amazing work done by Hannah Watkins, the head of content at Hubble HQ. Um, what we find is usually that utility, uh, the collateral that delivers utility to the, um, um, to the recipient is one of the, the better uh, lead magnets. Um, the more you can segment based on size, staging funnel, uh, the better. And usually, again, um, basing this, creating a, a great collateral by utilizing the data in your uh, platforms is, is super valuable. In Hubble, uh, we had great success with Flex in the City, which was an analysis of, of uh, uh, millions of, data, of search data points uh, for office spaces. Um, and uh, additionally, we've created the Office Move checklist and uh, uh, Book of Spells and various uh, um, collaterals that were targeted at specific uh, uh, audience personas. Now, you need to measure the impact of those uh, collaterals. And the beauty of that is that you can create one core collateral, but then repackage and repurpose this uh, across different, different channels. I've mentioned before the performance multipliers, the branding community and organic. Um, again, many think of this as completely separate to the machine. I, I, I view this differently. I, we definitely saw whenever we were running uh, billboard campaigns, uh, underground uh, campaigns, we saw the impact on traffic coming in, on conversion rates. It was uh, quite evident. Some other uh, branding activities may take longer to develop uh, as a multiplier. Um, uh, a most important uh, uh, performance multiplier is community, if you can apply it to your particular case. In, in Hubble's case, we identified uh, uh, that the ops managers or office managers, which were one of our target personas, they did not have a um, strong community in London that allowed them to connect informally and to upskill and, and network. We created Wizards of Ops. Over time, while it may not uh, translate immediately into leads, over time it creates, um, it lowers the cost of acquisition because you have, um, you have the, the right target audience is aware of your brand and has very positive interaction and you are among the first that would come to their minds when uh, the, the buying intent or when in, our, in, in Hubble's case it was when they, they needed to remove an office then they would approach us. And again, do not under, underestimate the impact of organic SEO in marketplaces. It may even uh, account for up to 50% of traffic. Super important and it lowers your cut. So, um, all of these multipliers impact your uh, your uh, your funnel and will eventually increase conversion rates or lower cost of acquisition. So now you've built your machine and and you've set it up uh, correctly, but most of your work day to day today would be about optimizing it. So how do you go about doing that? Uh, since we've used a machine as metaphor, I find very um, useful to think about optimizing growth as uh, troubleshooting growth, because 
you are essentially trying to solve this problem. Remember from the beginning of the session, you've got those inputs, those constraints, you need to deliver those outputs and you have this machine. And if your machine doesn't fit the ROI, you, the, the, the constraint, for example, or you want to grow to a, a better ROI to, to increase more the output, then you need to think about it as though you are fixing a broken machine, right? So if you're thinking about it that's, that way or as troubleshooting or debugging, you may uh, very well learn a bit from uh, debugging best practices. You examine what goes wrong, you list theories for where the bug may be, or in our case, it could be just opportunities for growth. Examine one theory at a time by debugging that specific area and focusing is super important. You, you never debug the whole thing. You never try to optimize the whole thing. And then you repeat steps as necessary. Now, this is quite uh, similar to the growth optimization process. What you essentially do is you uh, select a certain process, acquisition, one channel, focus as much as you can. Then you ideate and list ideas of how you can um, optimize or improve or fix the, 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 the process. Then you prioritize. Once you select a, a test, you formalize it. You actually explicitly mention what's the hypothesis, what do you think will happen. You assign an owner, you set timelines, you run the test, you measure, and you reiterate. To scale this process, you need to have growth um, uh, cycles in the company and in your marketing function. Um, for example, quarterly and annual OKRs, so objective key results, correlated with your expected output. So that is an important part. And then you have some kind of cadence, uh, for example, a bi-weekly growth optimization cycle in which the marketing team ideates, tests, measures, and iterates. For an, an example, in Hubble, what we, we did was uh, at some point we would ideate, uh, we would study the, the metrics and the funnel. We would also get qualitative data. For example, we would interview clients or we would speak to the sales team that uh, were in constant discussions with prospects. And we would come up with an hypothesis. For example, we, were, we noticed that we had great conversion rates from certain uh, smaller businesses, but we wanted to increase the conversion rate of bigger businesses. And one of the assumptions was that there is a misperception of self-service. Hubble had uh, a, a very um, uh, a wide uh, team of uh, advisor, uh, an advisory team that provided uh, um, a very um, personal service. So it's something that we said, okay, let's test this. Let's highlight our advisory team. So we did a photo shoot of, of our advisory team and you may have seen that campaign. We've run a campaign of uh, meet Shay, meet Lily. They were actual advisory uh, uh, representatives from our team. We've also highlighted the advisory team all throughout the funnel on the side. And that actually led over time to the increase in, in average transaction value. Now, this was one example for one test and it's very visual. Uh, over the, the course of, of the, the um, uh, operation, we've tested creatives, we've tested optimizations for SEM campaigns. So sometimes you do exact match or broad match, you change keywords. Uh, this is not very sexy. It's not very visual, but it's not, uh, but it's actually in some cases even more important than some of these more brand new messaging orientated uh, tests. Uh, to wrap up, I would just like, like to share some lessons learned in blood or missed OKRs. It's important to adhere to a rigorous growth process, uh, just like going to the gym, uh, it, doing it once doesn't work, you need to 
to consistently do it. I know of a company that spent seven months optimizing their onboarding process only then to discover some kind of a, um, uh, a change that increased their conversion rates considerably. Sorry. Um, no. I keep mentioning technology, but messaging should come before technology in the sense that if you are not uh, communicating a message that resonates with your audience, um, it will not scale and there is no point in, in, in spending lots of tons of, uh, of uh, marketing budget on it. Another point is that tracking should not be an afterthought. Uh, there, it's, it's better to invest time in making sure you can track something end to end than to launch another campaign without any tracking. Another point is not to spread yourself too thin. So optimizing one, two channel at a time, then expand to other ones. Uh, it's important to be bold with your testing because if you are too nuanced, you may not notice any uh, change on your performance, either positive or negative. And one last point is to uh, align cross-functionally. So for example, it's very important to agree about definition of what a qualified lead is. Uh, in some cases, even up to the point of what values in what field in the CRM uh, would qualify as a qualified lead. So just to wrap up, I would advise you all to be like Nikola Tesla minus the gambling habit and the pigeon obsession uh, to adopt an engineering mindset. Um, and if you want to go deeper into this, I would recommend uh, the book From Impossible to Inevitable by the former CMO of HubSpot and by the founder of Suster. CXL have a great training. Um, uh, I have completely unconnected to that uh, company, but they just do great training on data-driven marketing. And Winning by Design is uh, a great source of information about treating sales operations as a science. Um, yeah, that was... Uh, it for me, CMOJO is um, a consultancy. I will be formally launching next month, but so you're among the first uh, to hear about it, and this is how you can reach out to me. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much, Shahar. I'm giving a big, like, can we all do a round of applause? Show, show your hand. That was wicked. Thank you so much. That was fascinating. Um, I loved uh, the way you talked about engineering and sort of the artistry that's involved in that. Um, I think it's definitely the whole art and science that goes into marketing is, is something that can get people really confused. Some people lean really into one way, some people lean really into another. Before I kick off with questions um, from the group, what do you think? If you were to put a percentage on sort of how much of marketing is art and how much is science, what would you go with? Uh it's it's a tough one um i don't know but if i when i look at the budget i typically uh, spend it half and half so i would say i i should go with uh, with where i put my money right but um but it's it's difficult to assess uh, because even the science uh, as i mentioned before is is Creativity in science. There is so much creativity in science, so it's very difficult. I, I instead of, of quantifying it, it, indeed, I would say know when to switch those hats and know when to employ those uh, when you need to be creative. Um, I would also um, highlight that over time, in order to, to ideate new ideas for, for the growth testing, um, you need so much creativity. And, and while at first the prioritization is a problem, you have so many ideas, but you don't know how to prioritize them, over time, you need to come up with those ideas and that's when creativity really comes into play. But uh, yeah. 
Awesome. So let's let's switch to some of the questions from the chat. Um, Irina, Jake, Will, you were all asking questions um, about kind of the the awesomely named Wizards of Ops community. Can you talk a bit more about actually like how you guys built that and then also how you sort of measured um, and sort of, you know, made the case for investing your time and resource into it? Sure. So this is, uh, and again, like most of the things on Hubble HQ, all credit goes to the amazing team uh, there, to Hannah and Lucy that were in charge of, of, of that community. So as I mentioned before, uh, um, and Joe from the outbound sales side that obviously supported this. So it was quite clear early on that we have an untapped audience. We had office managers and ops managers that didn't get any kind, there was no community that, that was catering for their needs. And, and that's how this originally came about. Um, I don't remember specifically about the, the um, um, where the branding came from, but the point is that um, the whole tagline of Hubble is uh, office search alchemy and it's about uh, office search or smart, it feels like magic. So the whole magic theme was there. Um, and we always think that bringing something unexpected, so operations, it's usually a, a very kind of, uh, uh, some would say a boring <laughs> domain, but at least a very uh, formal one. And we tried to bring an edge to it. And I think it helped us uh, stand out. But beyond that, I believe that the team leveraged a lot of their own uh, um, network to bring the initial uh, great uh, speakers and participants. So the, the initial speakers were, were very strong. This attracted um, uh, quite an amazing uh, uh, um, list of um, um, heads of HR and, and office managers and ops managers from all across the uh, London ecosystem. And over time, we saw that this is a highly engaged uh, um, audience. Some of them even uh, um, volunteered to be part of an advisory board. So they were advising us on campaigns, they were, were giving feedback on messaging. So for example, this was one contribution. They were uh, almost like a uh, not a focus group, but they were an advisory board for us and they were representing the, the audience and, and constantly in communication with us. They would then go on and become champion for Hubble uh, and uh, recommend us through word of mouth. Some of them converted directly. And I believe as the, the, the community will continue, it will uh, um, generate more leads for the company in the future. Uh, in specifically, we were measuring attendance in events, but we were also measuring, we knew um, those that attended and we can tie it to further down funnel metrics. And uh, we were very uh, adamant through, uh, to always measure as much as we could content branding, any activity based on very down funnel metrics as far as we could uh, tie the two. If you were to put a number on it in terms of leads, do you have an idea in terms of how much that that was contributing or it was too early to tell? Um, it's, it's, it was too early to tell. And also I obviously cannot share the, the actual data, but I can say that it, it wasn't necessarily about quantity, but rather it was aligned. The people that were involved there were from bigger businesses that represented uh, um, uh, a much coveted uh, target audience for a segment for, for Hubble. Um, okay, we've got a question from Guy at Schema. He says, have you ever used an idea that didn't work, um, which had worked in the past, when you used it in the past? And if so, why and how did it work out? Um, you constantly test things, so you, you come you you come with an um, with 
uh, a certain experience and a certain sort of test results that work for one company and then you try to apply them to another, uh, uh, a lot of them would work again, some would not. And it, it depends obviously on the target audience and on the specific channels. So for some companies, uh, um, specific channel would be very effective with others, it would not. The community, for example, that we've already mentioned is something that really fit the, the, the ops managers because there weren't a lot of communities for that target audience, uh, for example, and because those particular uh, um, personas really respond well to that. If we were, if I were now trying to market uh, um, to a marketing uh, audience, for example, they are so bombarded with communities and, and, and groups that I doubt that the community would be the right way to go. This is just one example. Um, uh, LinkedIn or Facebook or, or, or um, uh, AdWords, each of these channels has better fit for specific profiles of companies. So uh, you cannot just apply the same uh, uh, tactics from one company to another. That's why I'm trying to share a framework that hopefully will then be adapted for each company's uh, requirements. I think that's really important and relevant. Like not every business or company that you'll be building needs a new community within that sector. So actually like what is ego of what you want and what does that community actually really need on that and just final question before um we let you go shahar um from lara which was can you talk about the beginning of like how you built that community so i know you talked about kind of initially tapping into your networks but what if you don't have that network kind of to start with what what are the sort of best ways of, of starting to to approach people and build a, a community bootstrapping are always about uh, doing unscalable things so you reach out and you do, oh, sorry about that. So you, you reach out and you, um, you must have some, first of all, some source of, of network that can then reach out to their networks and, and to try to bootstrap it from there. Um, beyond that, you possibly could tap to other communities through partnerships. So we found complementary um, um, companies that you can, possibly piggyback on their communities and through their first you present you offer opportunities to either featuring your community to co-host uh, uh, blog posts etc so you you form your business partnerships not just the personal network um, and you can kick start it that uh, i must admit that the, the hubble community was one of the first that i attempted it, it caught really well i mean within the first month or two we became one of the top uh, that community became one of the top one in, in the ops scene in london i doubt that this is could be replicated very easily and i can't really uh, share a similar situation uh, uh, where we try to bootstrap and it didn't work so unfortunately i can't uh, provide much and then just really quickly as well, for some companies in here who are founders perhaps and haven't yet made a marketing hire yet, what um, do you think is like the 80-20 of getting things right and experimentation before they should make, they should consider bringing their first marketing hire in full time? Sorry, can, can you expand on that? So you're asking? Harry, do you want to jump in and explain your question in more detail if you're here? Yeah, for sure. Um, can you hear me? Yeah. Sweet. Um, so basically, we need to build the marketing architecture of the company before we bring mm -hmm. on a full-time hire because we haven't got the cash to be able to do that for a series mm -hmm. A. Um, we need to get this right because it's super important to get the foundations right, but also we can't afford a full-time hire. So mm -hmm. for a team that's not marketing savvy, what are the few things to get right in the first year when you're building out that landing page and the initial conversion? It's a getting 
So the, in your case, actually, if you think about those components I mentioned, the proficiencies one is, is actually given. It's what you have currently on your team and you can't expand it. So that actually makes things easier because you can forget that. So what you need, need to really focus on are the components of the positioning. You need to, to tell the right message to your ideal customer. You need to uh, fine tune your process and, and test it to death, really. So just test so many versions of that process until you know that it's absolutely as optimal as you can and start testing channels again one by one one of the main mistakes is trying to do too much too fast get understand what's the one sig single predictable channels uh, that, that is uh, you can uh, rely on for acquisition uh, and i would focus on that but as you can see this requires both perfecting your positioning and that acquisition process. Mm -hmm. And I would claim that in some cases, as much as you can push the envelope on the tech stack, it's also important because later on, if you're stuck with, with migrating all your processes from a cost-effective CRM to the Salesforce that you end up using uh, at some point in life or HubSpot, then um, the, the earlier you can do to, to bring that about, the better because this is the entire infrastructure of your process, of your acquisition process, and changing it later on is a bit of a, a bit of a headache. Um, so I think we've covered the the positioning, we've covered the the process, the tech stacks, which is the platforms. Uh, in terms of the the um, the multipliers, as much as you can. Uh, seed the, the organic, for example, uh, um, SEO, do that. Branding, you won't have a lot of budget to play with, so you need to rely on word of mouth and an amazing product to do that for you at first. Um, yeah, and the, the content, content doesn't cost that much and it fuels mm -hmm. your So, yeah. All right, thank you. That answered your question. Definitely did, cheers. Um, Thank you so much, Shahar. That was brilliant. I absolutely loved your um, six components that go into to building a business. I hope that you're able to share. You also shared some amazing book recommendations. Hopefully we can nab that presentation off you. Yeah, and happy to share the deck. And I've added a few more slides in the back uh, with some additional information and further reading. So, yeah. Absolutely superstar. Thank you so much, Shahar. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me. Awesome. Bye, bye, bye.